you right. may use a little bit more of that traditional language about God for very small children because it's easier to wrap your mind around it. Well, that's where their development level is. They're not going to get an abstract concept. God is a presence and a principle. So are you calling all people who believe in a being God children? I'm just telling you what Oh, we Welcome to episode 36 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a pint of beer, a glass of wine, a goblet of mead, a fine single malt scotch, or maybe even just a cup of water. You can watch us live most Tuesdays, 9 p.m. Eastern at pubtheology.com or on YouTube, and you can listen anytime on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. Tonight's episode is brought to you by our official sponsors. Craft Beer Cellar is the home of craft crew, <laughs> of premium craft brews. See, I tried. I tried. Little cheese going downhill. <laughs> <laughs> Visit craftbeercellar.com for a location near you and to order your gift cards for Christmas because everyone loves beer for Christmas. You can win free beer from Craft Beer Cellar by joining our conversation. Comment anytime during the week or during the show on Twitter or Facebook using hashtag PTLive. And we got a special holiday sponsor, Casual Priest. High-quality collection of functional and comfortable clerical garments. It's a great gift idea for and your fa- favorite clergy persons. Uh, if you want to see a really, really uh, spelt, attractive minister in Casual Priest garb, go no further than Brian Burgos' Facebook page. Uh, did you post that on the Pub Theology page? Put that up as soon as possible. All right, it's it's on it's on the website pubtheology.com, but I, oh, it's nice. not on the Facebook right. page yet. Head over to head over there, man. See Brian, see Brian in the Dutch. You can win a shirt or a bag by checking out the cool stuff at casualpriest.com, and then post your favorite on their Facebook or Instagram page. Be sure to use the hashtag #PTLive, and uh, three winners will be chosen by Casual Priest after our December 13th show that's next week it will be our final show for the year so you have one more week to go on to Casual Priest and check their stuff out and we thank them well tonight we discuss the myth of Santa Claus is it appropriate to teach hey I know whoa don't let your your kids (laughs) listen to this episode (laughs) breaking news right here somebody's gonna have a surprise Is it appropriate to teach children that a mythical creature is real? We'll talk about our own experiences of Santa, if we can recall them, and maybe when we figured it out. And are there any correlations for how we teach children about God? We'll also discuss some children legends. Now I'm confusing myself. Some Christmas legends, in fact, maybe involving children. And we'll discuss what season our spiritual journey is most like right now. Well, my name is Brian Burkoff. I am the pastor of Holland UCC in Holland, Michigan, and author of the book Pub Theology. And tonight I am drinking Norm's Gateway Session IPA from Griffin Claw Brewing. Nice. And with us, as usual, is uh, Ogan Holder and Tina Simmons. Welcome, guys. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Reverend Ogan Holder here from Unity on the River. I am in, where am I, Newburyport, Massachusetts. Tonight I am drinking eggnog again, um, but this time, instead of my um, Barbadian native rum, I am drinking uh, Kraken black spiced rum in my eggnog. And um, so uh, your beer is Norm, and I am drinking out of a Cheers mug, because you know I am in the Boston area. Cheers. Norm, we got cheers. Tina for the trifecta. Is what you were drinking connected in some way? Uh yeah. Yeah, of course. Um so I, I'm actually drinking champagne um okay. because my Kickstarter campaign got funded. Woo! Um so this, be this, this is the second night of celebration. <laughs> um, but I, I'm drinking, I think you have to pronounce it Michelle when it's a champagne. 
um, but it's Michelle Extra Dry, and it's by St. Michelle, which is about three hours from here. It's in it's in Washington, and I would love to go visit it because I hear it's a beautiful winery. So wait, his drink is by Norm Brin. I got the cheers. Now. Oh, Norm I thought you meant just a local thing. Oh, jeez. All right, never mind. No, it's not. It clearly went over your head. Yeah, I'm no. I'm not on the cheers. Well, you know, if if you don't get the joke, part of part of the blame is on the comedian. You got to know your audience, and I thought I knew my audience. It was obviously mistaken. Yes. I must say though that if this is a picture of Norm, he's like a big horse or a cow with a cigar in his mouth. So that little. Yeah. little well, in my defense, I didn't hear Brian say the Norm part. I just heard him say something Griffin. Gotcha. So you were saying you weren't listening. I was partially listening. As he sips his eggnog. <laughs> I was listening. All right. So what our listeners want to know is, did you believe in Santa as a child? What is it with the did? How about do you believe in Santa Claus? For the grown children. <laughs> like, I know you just watched Miracle on 34th Street. Right? Well, you got to pass. Well, you got to pass that. And say, oh, oh, no, no, no. I don't know where I was and why it was so late to the party on this. But you guys hear about the Santa Claus in the Mall of America? In Minneapolis, the no. Black Santa. Oh my goodness! Yes. So Minneapolis, biggest mall in the country, Mall of America. I've been there. The thing, the thing is, is huge. There's actually an amusement park in the mall because it is that big. Um, and they hired every year. They have a you know, and a Santa Claus, and he's like one of the feature attractions. This year, there they hired a Black Santa Claus, Santa Larry, um, and he's. Totally perfect for the role, real white beard and everything. And as always, there are people in America losing their minds because Santa Claus is supposed to be white. I, seriously, I got nothing to say after that. Jesus is white too, you know. <laughs> right, with blue eyes and blonde hair. I'm like, come on, people, really? Jeez, we got to have another show called Really Part Two. Exactly. There were a lot of good responses to the bad responses to the Black Santa. I swear, I swear, man, it's it is crazy. This country's like three steps forward, two and a half steps back. It is. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> it's a funny time to live in. It it is, but um, yes, but but Santa, Santa, I think it's appropriate to to um help foster the imagination of children, you know, to mm -hmm. a point, especially when they're really young, like two, three, four, five. Um, yeah, why not? I agree. I think I think teaching kids about Santa is healthy. It's fun. And it, you know, it's good for adults too. It takes us back and it just puts the spirit of Christmas in you. And I, I like that. I agree. We teach them about God and Jesus. So, you know, <laughs> I knew you were God. going there. <laughs> <laughs> why not? So you think, uh, why not? Uh, okay. Here's the issue. So the issue, the issue, which was um, what you alluded to earlier about um, teaching about God and, and things like Santa is, you know, up to a certain age, um, imaginary concepts are, I mean, that's that's not something from an intellectual perspective kids really get. Things are either real or they're not. Um, you know, God is a very abstract concept. This is why, so in Unity, for example, we, we, we don't teach about, you know, the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the anthropomorphical idea of God, that God is a being or a man or whatever right but but for the youngest of children who can't like articulate that abstract concept because there are two and three and four and that part of their brain really isn't fully developed to handle that kind of thing it's okay to have that idea of god as other as a being of, of santa as a being and i and i think it, it the story of santa claus helps keep the spirit of Christmas alive. It helps um, with the, the, the idea of, of, of generosity behind Christmas and, and giving gifts, you know, we give and Santa's going to give. And, you know, I don't like it when parents use it as emotional blackmail, be good or else Santa won't bring you. Whatever. I agree. I, I got a problem with that elf too. I'm just saying. Which elf? Black Pete? The elf, the elf on the shelf. The elf on the shelf. You, that creepy, creepy elf. Yeah, I don't agree with that. Are we going to talk about yeah, what's, what? What's the narrative with the elf? Isn't it that the elf is watching when you 
Yeah, and he moves every day. Like, you move his location every day. Like, totally creeps the kids out when they're young. You know, he's, he's watching. He's sitting in your house watching you to make sure you behave. That, talk about emotional blackmail. Exactly. And Santa sent him. That makes Santa this, like, dictator. And he knows oh, when you've been sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows know. when you've been good or bad. Yeah, so. Santa's stalking you. I, I think, but, but Ogan, I think the, the Krampus um, craze is hysterical. <laughs> I heard there's like festivals now. Like, fine line between hysterical and downright scary. I don't know what this is. <laughs> you don't know about Krampus? Oh my goodness. No, it sounds he's like a alter cross ego. Grandpa and yeah, Santa. He's, he's like Santa's evil, evilish alter ego. That if you're bad, he comes for you. Yeah. And he takes oh, you in the woods. He Krampus. kidnaps the kids, the bad kids, takes them in the woods and beats them. Stop. Okay. Uh, enough. I, I won't sleep tonight. <laughs> and what is, I forget what European country it is that had, that has Santa and his assistant is Black Pete. And if you're not good. Sport to Pete. That's Dutch, baby. Dutch. There you go. That's right. That's your peoples. Um, and then Black Pete comes and what, what's the story? He takes you somewhere else or gives you some, I don't know, it's Cole or Black Pete takes you somewhere else if you're a bad kid. You know, not no racist undertones there because the bad, <laughs> bad guy's black. Just no saying. doubt. So it's just, just like saying. Christianity. It's broken apart into so many different <laughs> things. You don't know what to believe anymore. <laughs> so I want to go back to something you were saying, Ogan. You were noting that in, in Unity's um, tradition, you don't teach about God as a, as a being, as a being Correct. in the sky or a being um, with certain we are, we anthropomorph are anthropomorphic characteristics. Yeah, we are literally atheist. Okay, and so I believe you do that because you believe that's a more accurate way to think of God, not to think of yes. God as a, a being. Right. So you want to teach that accurately but at the same time you said it's okay to teach children about something that we all know is not actually real so explain to me that difference well because we recognize that to say to someone the, the idea of trying to explain something we name god we call it god and at very young ages children's relationship with things is very objective i'm here the toy is there the blocks is here mom is here dad is here so it's a very like object-based relationship, not necessarily a subjective, abstract-based concept. So try to explain the concept. I mean, as an adult, we barely can wrap our minds around the idea of God as presence and God as principle. Try to explain it no to doubt. a three- or four-year-old, right? So, so at the earliest years, youngest years, it's okay to kind of um, be a little more objective in our explanation of God. But even so, we still say... God is love or God is peace and God is joy. We don't necessarily say, you know, God loves you, but yeah. So that's helpful. So you may, you right. may use a little bit more of that traditional language about God for very small children. Cause it's easier to wrap your mind around it. Well, that's where their development level is. They're not going to get an abstract concept. God is a presence and a principle. So are you calling all people who believe in a being God, Children, I'm just telling you what. Oh, we, snap! I'm just you what we do. Don't go there. I'm, I'm just telling you what we do. Just saying. What we <laughs> well, listen, listen. Um, no, you're not. No, I'm not. I'm not taking a bait. I'm not taking a bait. All right, I was, I was, I was fifteen minutes in the show. And listen, we got a lot of listeners. You could be insulting right now. You don't want to miss that opportunity. <laughs> Let me get a little more of the rum base eggnog in me before he dives down that tunnel. All right. <laughs> Brian, ask him again at the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. So but, you said, you know, uh, mom, mom and, you know, mom is real or brother, sister or dad or the dog or whatever. Those are real concrete things. Yeah. Um, Elf on the shelf over there. Oh, wait, no, it's over here now. Creepy. Yeah. Creepy. You just can't keep track of that. Creepy. So did, did I'm interested, did either of your families, as you, do you remember when you were a child, was there this story of write a letter to Santa or ask Santa for this, or were any of the gifts under the tree labeled to Ogan or to Tina from Santa? Yeah, um, I think I was pretty young when I figured it out or started questioning because I'm a questioner. Um, so I was pretty young when 
things didn't add up and make sense to me. And, um, but I, I don't remember ever like being upset or confronting my parents or anything. Like I just took it in stride and it was what it was. I get presents, whatever. Um, but you know what was really fun? When I got older, my mom worked at the post office. She would give me all the letters to Santa and I would write back to the kids and draw them pictures and stuff. Aww. It was so fun. I got to play Santa for a while. That's very cool. That's cool. Um, but I, I, I like the idea of, you know, believing in a Santa. I never, I never got what I asked Santa for. I never got what I asked my parents for. I just got what I got. So that, <laughs> that, that myth was dispelled like real early. <laughs> You're like, he's not real because he's not listening to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, at first it was like, you know, it was like, why didn't I get what I asked Santa? Eh, maybe next year. Yeah, never happened. Yeah, I just got what I, I just got what I got. And yeah, how was that? Kind of, kind of a sad childhood in many ways. <laughs> How about you, Brian? <laughs> well, I had to worry about Zwarte Pete, so, you know. Uh, there you go. Black, Black Pete. So uh, that was always uh, difficult. No, actually, we didn't really. I'm surprisingly, because my mom and dad were both born in the Netherlands, but they didn't really do this. Uh, Sinterklaas, I think is how you say it in Dutch. Sinterklaas. Saint Nicholas. Um, I don't know. I I don't recall either if I think we would have gifts under the tree that said from Santa and it was sort of like, Oh, we don't know where this came from. Could it be Santa? But there wasn't a big, we didn't set out a plate of cookies and milk and, and you know, they didn't go that far, but there were always gifts under the tree from Santa. I don't know. I remember um, when um, joy was born really young and, what Jennifer did, because this is what her family did, is the presents from other family members were wrapped under the tree. The stuff from Santa, you just laid out on the sofa, unwrapped. And the whole idea was you woke up in the morning and the stuff from Santa was just out there. So there was a differentiation. So we had to decide you know, what was from us and what was from Santa. And it was, I remember the, I remember the year that Joy figured out there was no Santa Claus. Did she pick and, something out? <laughs> well, no. What happened? Uh, Jennifer took it harder than Joy did, because <laughs> yes. because it was it was it was like this this moment of childhood innocence lost, you know. And and for years afterwards, even though we all knew that Joy knew, and Joy knew that we knew that she knew, we would still put out a spread from Santa. And kept up the year, charade. Yeah, I would go. Why are we doing this? And Joy would be like, "We're doing this for Mom. We're not doing it for me. It's okay." And Jennifer would be like, "Cause I'm not wrapping all those presents." So, <laughs> it wasn't even about. Yeah. It was. I think it was. I think it was trying to hold on to like just the just just the magic of the childhood innocence of ooh, wake up in the morning and Santa brought me this stuff and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think Jennifer was trying to hold on to that. And Joy was like, okay, I'll hold on to it for your sake, but you really kind of don't have to do this every year. I'm just interested in what the stuff is. I don't care if it's wrapped or unwrapped. I don't care if it comes from you or from Santa. I know it's coming from you at this point. So, you know. Yeah, there's something to uh, the playing along that is like, I think represents our wanting to recapture that moment of innocence, that sort of innocent joy, that naive <laughs> trusting that this myth might actually be true. And so it is fun when you, when you have children to play along with it. And it is sad when they are kind of like, yeah, right. Kinda, Dad, I get like, it. Kind of like how adults still play along every year with that whole nativity story as if it really happened that way. <laughs> Oh man, he goes right there. I'm just right saying. There. I mean, that nativity story. Like, I don't think n- none of it really happened that way. And we every year we still lay out our or crash, and we still put up our things, and we still tell the story of this arduous journey that Joseph and Mary made to Bethlehem when she was like nine months pregnant on the back of a donkey. And it's pretty clear that they didn't go to Bethlehem. There was no reason for them to go to Bethlehem. And Jesus probably was born in Nazareth. And all that good stuff. You're ruining a lot of Christmases right now. Just I, listen, dude, every Brian, Sunday. they did this to me last week with Christmas music, just so you know. <laughs> I, I listen. 
Ogan, maybe it's not so much the facts of the story, but just the tradition of it. Like, it's just... I know. You should watch my... feeling you get. When I did my talk this past Sunday, you, you should go check it out. I started my sermon by saying, I'm warning you all, I'm going to share with you basically a myth that we perpetuate every year. I'm going to dispel that myth, but then I'm going to use that same myth to prove my point about, uh, about Christmas. That's some Ooh, pretty heavy stuff. It was nice. So so the myth I dispelled was, you know, that passage in Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He should be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, all that. That was not written about Jesus. It was not. But we use it every year. Thank you, Handel, for writing <laughs> that beautiful music. But, you know, not not written about Jesus. So to, yeah, and this Sunday I'll, I'll dispel some more myths about the holiday story. I want people to be educated, but at the same time, how do you, because what happens with a lot of people find out these facts about, or the truth, or the, you know, around stuff, and they go, well, this means that none of it is real. And that's like you were saying, Tina, because the facts aren't what we thought they were, doesn't mean there still isn't truth that's there, that isn't written. Yeah, so I, th I think there's an analogy here. Um, I think if you discuss the Christmas story, and this happened at our local gathering last night, you know, you discuss the different aspects, and people were, we were talking about the shepherds and then the wise men and the star, and, and people were talking about, well, how could a star, um, you know, direct you specifically Ooh, yeah. to a certain house? And, and someone was saying, well, I, I went to this um, planetarium in Chicago where they talked about the star possibly being a comet that was known to be highly visible at that time. And so as adults, even we find ourselves trying to explain what's these an, stories. Cause that, we want to believe what's an audio cue for eye roll, please comment. Yeah, so you don't think it could have been a comet. Even if I'm, I'm even getting this discussion with you. Dude, we're having, <laughs> we're having this discussion that we always have. Like people are going to create facts to back up what they want to believe because it's comfortable. Well, it's in the Bible though. Also it's in the Bible. So case closed. Well, you know, if you, if you still want to cling to this idea that the Bible is facts, go right ahead. Or that it's interpreted word for word completely appropriately into thousands of languages i'm just gonna say last time i looked up at the sky and saw stars i kind of knew exactly where to go there you go where where did where did it lead you brian <laughs> <laughs> oh don't get me wrong i have no I doubt that yet. <laughs> <laughs> i have no doubt people can follow stars and know where they're at they're directional um sure but that there was one star placed that night only for that reason not I think I think they were following. I think they were doing that directional thing, and they were just walking, and they bumped into the house because it was coincidentally the only. On the way. And they're like, and I and I like how they spoke in like British English. Like we should follow that yonder star. <laughs> exactly. I don't. I I this this is a sore spot for me every year when they mesh the two stories and put the wise men there in the in the manger, and. Why weren't they there? No, they didn't show up till years afterwards. Instruct and what happened to the gold? Wise Can somebody tell me what happened to the gold? No one. They were still poor. <laughs> Did Joseph go gamble with the gold? <laughs> Did Mary go after all I've been through? I'm gonna go get me something nice. Like what she happened? Got a pedicure. <laughs> exactly. I think Jesus got those like gold fillings. You know. Got a gold <laughs> Well, some, some actually argue that, that they saved it up and that's what he used to like finance his ministry. But I'm saying we didn't know how much gold they brought. It might have been like, you know, just a coin or a little, you know, an ingot, so what to call them, clump of gold. No, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. So you mentioned the idea that Jesus perhaps wasn't even born in Bethlehem. Um, Not that, perhaps. I think I think, perhaps, I think no, just a second. I think for a lot of people that might be a new idea. I mean, yeah. right? Because I think you read the Bible stories, you go to the Christmas plays, you hear that whole carol. No one sings always in Bethlehem. Yeah, no one sings "Old Little Town of Nazareth." You know, it's yeah. it's, it's part of the established. <laughs> it <tradition>. didn't rhyme. 
<laughs> right. Because that was what that was what was that was what was written. Um so what leads you to say maybe that's maybe he wasn't actually born in Bethlehem? Biblical scholarship. So this okay. idea, so when it so for example, when they talk about so the reason the story goes, you know, there was there was this uh, excuse me, was it the the census by Emperor Augustus and they mentioned this governor, uh, Quirinius, was the governor of the region, and they had a census, which, by the way, did not occur at the time Herod was king. It occurred years later. So, first of all, timeline all messed up, okay? So he did this census, and they said that they had to go to their ancestral home. Joseph had to travel to his ancestral home in Bethlehem. Part of that was, A, to establish the lineage of Jesus being from David, to make the prophecies in Isaiah make sense. So the prophecies in the Old Testament said the Messiah is going to come out of the house of David. So they had to they had to place Jesus's birth in Bethlehem. Here's the problem with that. So let's say this census did happen. It did. There's there's you know comb through the history you realize this census there's record of the census. But a couple of issues are with that. Um, I don't know if you guys uh, know of Rez, uh, Reza Aslan, the author. He wrote the book Zealot. It's a very cool uh, story of Jesus. I heard but it's a great book. I heard it's it a great is. Book. Fascinating. Yeah, it, it is good. I've, I've read Red Half. So, um, so I was looking at some things he wrote. One of the things he said was the census at the time did not encompass the entire region. There were, there were some regions, but not Galilee, where Nazareth was, where Joseph lives. And also, let's just say that it did happen there. The census would have been, you would have to report in the census based on where you own property, where your home was in Nazareth. He, he wouldn't have had to go to Bethlehem to be counted. Mary would not have been counted because she was a woman. So back in those days, you might as well didn't exist if you were a woman. Okay, <laughs> so we got that going on. Um, and, <laughs> no, let's... Let's not go there. So there was no reason for them to have traveled to Bethlehem. So in all likelihood, they did not. Jesus was, and most most yeah. biblical scholars will agree, Jesus was most likely born in Nazareth and not in yeah, December and, too. Very, very thorough. Thank you for that. I think that's very helpful. And I think, uh, and this is something I learned reading some of the same um, scholarship you did, and part of it too that was uh, interesting for me to think about is the idea that people wouldn't have been aware of Jesus' birth. He was, you know, born to a poor family in an obscure area. Nobody would have been around taking notes when all this is happening. And what typically happened in ancient times is that when someone became well known and later in their lives and stories were written about them later, birth narratives would be written to help further a certain view of that person. Uh, certainly was the case for um, people in Roman history, Caesars, yeah. and so forth. And there's actually some mirroring between Caesar birth stories and, uh, and Jesus's birth story. So that's interesting as well. And let's be clear, his lifetime and death probably wasn't well noticed either. There were other healers and miracle workers during his time crucifixions were commonplace because you know Pontius Pilate uh, who quote unquote you know t gave Jesus to the crowd by the way that that little trial that he had with Pontius Pilate also probably never happened um, but but history shows that Pontius Pilate was a brutal guy ruthless ruthless who didn't think anything of crucifying you know 1500 people a day so the crucifixion probably also went unnoticed except for his most ardent followers and family sure. members so sure. a lot of this a, a lot of the narrative written about um the, the relevance of jesus in relation to the other people at the time um probably exaggerated by the authors of the gospels as a way to spread the message and spread his teachings. So, uh, you know, when I teach this in class, when I teach Bible classes and I teach this to people and then they look shell-shocked, like, oh my God, why are we even believing any of this? I always remind them, first, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. And second of all, the important things 
is about the teachings. What did he teach? What did he demonstrate? How do we use that to inform us to, for us to be inspired by that, to live the the best version of our divine self as we can be. Don't get hang up in the literalism or the facts about the story. Yeah. So that was my question is, do you think it's the responsibility of um, pastors, church leaders, teachers, et cetera, to, teach some of the things that we've been talking about here or do you have an issue with someone if they know some of these things but continue to teach the the bethlehem narratives as if they are historical fact do you have a problem with that um as the lay person can i can i say something Please do. I absolutely have a problem with that. Please you do. you guys go through your schooling and your education so you whoa, can whoa, educate whoa. the Easy masses. With the you guys. Easy with the you guys. I'm not Oh come on, you're both you're both ministers, you're both pastors. But I'm I just teach, saying. I teach the facts. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but I'm saying your profession. Yes. You are t- you are, you go through years of education to pass it right. along. To me, if you don't pass along the truth because you don't think it's going to serve you, that's so egotistical. Uh, and and I so I don't agree with it at all. I mean that that would be like a doctor going through and learning all this stuff and and then somebody comes to him and he's like, "Ah, try this pill." You know, like not applying what he learned, not giving the truth to the population. And to bring this full circle, just like Santa Claus, the kids are going to find out eventually. <laughs> So oh. you might as well head it off. Tell them the you know, some are not though. So I know plenty of adults uh, older than me, my age, older than me, who who want to hear nothing of the idea that maybe Jesus wasn't born in Bethlehem. How do they handle the fact that maybe Jesus wasn't even born? A, they would say that's not a fact, and B, <laughs> they would stop talking to you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just like a parent who who doesn't want it to face the fact that their kid doesn't know that doesn't believe in Santa Claus. Yeah, and I I hear you, Tina, and I tend to think many people would agree with you. And my experience in uh, my tradition that I grew up in and then went to seminary in was we did learn a number of things through biblical scholarship, but we weren't expected to pass it all along because it was assumed that well, this isn't really going to serve people's faith. It might make them wrestle. It might make them doubt. It might make them wonder. And so Uh, we weren't always encouraged to teach some of the things we were studying in seminary. What happened to the truth will set you free? And wrestling is a good thing. You're supposed to wrestle. It's the whole point of that. I agree with you. A thousand percent. Better to wrestle wrestle with an educated minister than on your own at home when you think you have to hide the fact that you're wrestling with it. Then on your own at home with an elf on a shelf watching it all. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and going into, going into profound spiritual crisis and, and not feeling like you can be safe in your church to, to have a dialogue and share this because your minister is perpetuating the story. So I'm always, I'm always good at the holidays to share facts. Um, kind of de- uh, debunk, demystify the story, demyth- demythologize, if that's a word, the story, but then always bring it back to the facts aren't the point of the story. Yeah, What's the point of the story is the inspiration behind it. And let's be clear, all myth is grounded in some shred of truth. Yes. So even if Jesus wasn't born in Bethlehem and he was born in Nazareth, that's not the point. The point is, exactly. if if we do acknowledge that he lived and he we do acknowledge that, you know, he said a lot of the things that he did say. Again, biblical scholarship would tell you maybe he didn't, but let's just say, for kicks, you know, one third of the stuff that's written that he said he actually said, or he that's did, still pretty good, you know, and that's some stuff that we can still really used to help make us better versions of ourselves. And that's kind of the point. I hear you. And I I would just pause before saying I teach the facts about these things. I would say I teach what I know honestly and say many scholars or even most scholars believe. But when we're talking about ancient history, I'm sometimes careful to use the word fact because you're you're correct. That that is the phraseology that I use. Yeah. Modern biblical scholarship tells us that. Yeah, exactly. I just 
Yeah. Wanted to, you got to always leave a little shred of, well, we don't know 100% because it's ancient history, but our best sources say, or, you know, thorough scholarship says X, Y, or Z, but. You know what? Can I take us back to something we talked about last week? Go for Um, it. So, Ogan, I want to know, you know, we talk about the Bible, you know, the, the, how, when you, you break it down and stuff, there's a lot of mythology there. What if somebody like facts came about? That proved that everything you believe, without a shadow of a doubt, was myth. Mm. I mean, kind of like the whole most of the Bible. You mean? <laughs> no, no. But I'm, I'm saying I know you feel that way about the Bible. Right. But you believe God is love. You believe that uh, you know we have control over, um, like our, we're co-creators of our own world, basically. Yes. What if, what if something came along that totally debunked that, like flat out? That is not even close to the truth. Then then what will most likely happen is that I would be in a bit of a spiritual crisis with what I currently believe. And I would probably explore this new thing. Look at it. um, See if it resonated for me. And if it does, it does. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And again, it's based in fact, even if I mean, if an alien came down today and said, you guys are all just a big science experiment, you are the Truman show for the rest of the universe. Mm. You know, I will, like I will say, why wasn't I given better makeup? That's what. <laughs> I to do. Oh my God. <laughs> but listen. Yeah. So, so, in spite of all of what I'm saying, I never tell people don't believe what you currently believe. Like I always say to people, if if the if any approach to God works for you, I don't care what it is. If it's another religion, if it's another version of Christianity, if there's any approach to trying to understand and deepen your relationship with with all that is is working for you by George go for it you don't you don't have to change your belief system or what you believe because i roll up and i got facts in my hand um i'm i am not trying to you know brian asked earlier if i <laughs> what did you say do the people who believe uh in jesus or children or what or yeah. are people who still believe in a um god yeah, who is a god yeah uh no no i i'm gonna say i'm gonna say no to that that's and 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 here's the the, the truth of the matter is no matter where we are on the spectrum of of our relationship and understanding and belief about god no matter where we are we are all partly right and we're all partly wrong like there's nothing that adequately expresses and encapsulates it where my issue always is is about those that try to make others wrong and about those and and sometimes in the way speak i i imply that others are wrong as well but for me it's about here's here's what works for me here's what makes sense for me here's what allows my intellect and my emotions and my uh, spirituality to be in harmony with each other and if you're in a place where those three are not in harmony with each other perhaps you might want to explore something else because they don't think they should be in disharmony uh, with each other and and uh, so many times our intellect goes like this doesn't make sense but we'll believe it anyways and I'm like no does it make sense to your intellect find something that does why, why you put yourself in that well, because their intellect starts building facts, such as comets in the sky, to make sense of it. Sure. I was with the comet theory for a while, too. You know. Were you? It was a good, it was a good bridge between the star and this is total crap. Um, the comet. The comet was the bridge. I see. Now the truth comes out. The no comet title. gets a little love after he no totally no does title. Take another comet. swig of that lo- eggnog. The <laughs> yeah, that's eggnog talking. Comet, yeah, comet could have been a you know firework. Who knows? There you go. Firework. They just didn't recognize it. it was Gandalf setting it off? Well, they were coming from the east. You know, they could have had some early proto fireworks. They were blinded by the setting sun. <laughs> so, according to some, uh, keeping along with some uh, of what we've been talking about, according to some legends, there were actually four shepherds in the field watching their flocks by night. How I many shepherds? Before. What how many shepherds do you think there were, and can you name them? I never heard a number, a specific number of shepherds. That was news to me. No, and certainly not names. Where'd the names come from? Yeah, 
What legend is this? Educate us. Well, I think it's um, the song, The First Noel, was based on this legend. And um, yeah, you can't trust song lyrics. You know, so the four, uh, you want to guess the four names? No. Um, <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And Daniel. That makes four. Daniel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Daniel. There you go. <laughs> well, close. It was, uh, they were Misael, Akiel, Syriacus, and Stephanus. Okay. Those songs and like that cool. all came from the song? <laughs> well, it's because they, they rhymed with something. I'm telling you. <laughs> we only sing like the first two verses of the first novel. Anyways, that's like verse 13. <laughs> those names roll out. Never. Well, there's an English version of the legend in which there are actually three shepherds, and they are named Harvey, Tud, and Trowel. Trowel. <laughs> okay, that made me laugh. <laughs> I'm not making this up. Oh my god! Although I do, that, I believe it's it's more believable that shepherds made it there than kings. Well, and we know that the kings brought gifts, but. Apparently, Trowell brought a gift as well, and his gift to our Savior was a pair of his wife's old hose. Where are you finding this stuff? <laughs> Seriously. What? And what did he do with them? <laughs> this was on ChristianityToday.com. Uh, I don't oh, think there were hose back in those days. What hose are you talking about? <laughs> I, exactly. I don't think that was a style choice back then. <laughs> I don't think so either. Are you sure you got the meaning of hose? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> that website's losing, losing credibility with me now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So how do you feel about, you know, there's stories about, even about the three wise men, right? There are, those have names. So the three wise men have names, according to legend. Um, oh, I know this how one. I know there were three, you know, that kind of I thing. I know this one. One was called Balthazar. One was called uh, Melchior. And I'm blanking on the third one. Casper? Casper? Well, I have Jasper, but someone last night guessed Casper also. So there Close may enough. be a version of where it's Casper. That, Very good. Thank you. Ex extra credit. Pull that one up from the deep recesses of my memory. Absolutely. Let's hope the uh, Santa was watching or the Christmas elf. Someone. someone. Extra credit. And again, not three. We don't know how many. We we assume three because there were three gifts, and and we placed one gift per magi. But the truth is, if you're crossing, if you're coming from, let's see, you know, I think we acknowledge there were Zoroastrian priests. Um, right. That's, that's the current theory, um, and they're crossing the desert. It's got to be a caravan. It's not three of them just wandering through the desert. It's got to be a caravan of people. So they were and either servants and yeah, right, mm -hmm. all that. So it might have been just one priest, and you know, or it could have been three and more two advisors with him, and exactly like five thousand. When you read the scripture, it says you know there were these kings that came, or these magi that came from the east and presented him with the three gifts. So they number the gifts. They don't number the the. Well, and if if you're a super poor person. You don't pay attention to politics. You know, you're worried about where you're getting your next meal. They, anybody who dressed nice probably looked like a king to them. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I mean, maybe so. I'm and serious. I would say some scholars will also say that uh, Matthew is trying to show make globalize this event and show that there were people from other nations who came in sure. and that you know maybe this is fulfilling a prophecy somehow and yeah they all wrote with an agenda it's trying trying to expand the you know expand the event of the birth i do have to say i really appreciate the gifts that they brought and i'm surprised more people are not appreciative of essential oils um knowing that frankincense and myrrh are two of the gifts that were brought to jesus like not recognizing how valuable they are here, here. Although, yes. although it would one of them is essentially in uh, use fragrance used in the embalming process. So, when someone shows up to the birth of your child with a death oil, that's kind of creepy. Wait, which one is a death oil? Isn't it myrrh? Was it myrrh the one that I think myrrh? Yeah, myrrh has healing properties too. It's not, not just a not, death oil. But I'm saying is it at the time it was one that was commonly used. To, to help either mask... It's like, just in case this doesn't go well. <laughs> well, and so... 
it's also, you know, the gospel writer is hinting that Jesus, a key part of his story is going to be his death and that his death is right. going to matter in a significant way. And they're right. sort of symbolically presently so not really a gift to begin with. So there's Brian adding details. Golden. There's Brian adding details to make him feel better about what he believes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it's, it's because I think it's that... It's champagne, Brian. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, I think that factors into why they're writing it that way. I well, see your point. Which calls into question, again, the veracity of... The historicity. Of, right, of the, of the story. <laughs> you know, because, again, because alluding back to the prophecies written in Isaiah, which weren't prophecies about Jesus, it's about we're, we're writing these stories to paint the picture that from day one, even before conception, this was the plan, this for Jesus, this was who he was meant to totally. be. You know, we're going to, we're going to prove it by, by writing it in this way. Totally. So what about the angels who appeared at the shepherds? Uh, how many angels were there? I don't know. What's what, in a host? What did they sound like? 400. Because there's one initially, right, who's announcing it, but then suddenly the heavens were, they were filled with a heavenly host or something. Did you guys did you guys watch the movie movie Dogma? Yes. <laughs> Where Alan Rickman was Metatron. Where Alanis Morissette yes. is God. <laughs> yes, Alanis Morissette plays God. Uh, Alan Rickman is Metatron. So that's what I'm going with. The first angel was Alan Rickman. Uh, I forgot about Metatron. That is that's Metatron. like a Jewish uh Yeah. Not a transformer, but the voice of God. The angel. Exactly. Voice of God, Metatron. Not a Detroit Lion, not Megatron. No. Metatron. Megatron either. Nope. So, yeah. Megatron's a Detroit Lion? I thought Megatron (laughs) was a transformer. Yes, but a wide receiver for the Detroit Lions earned the nickname Megatron because he was so big and had such a long reach. Got it. There you go. He was out dancing with the stars. I thought maybe you'd know him that way. Are you talking to me or Ogan? <laughs> you, I knew who Megatron was. I don't even watch football. I knew who Megatron was. No, Dancing with the Stars. I don't watch that. I, I'm trying. I'm trying. All right. So you guys talked about this last week. And let's just be brief on this. Um, do you prefer a church service on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? And should churches meet on Christmas Day when it falls on a Sunday? Um, nope. And we're not. Okay, but first part, do you prefer a Christmas Eve or Christmas Day service? I like I like I like the Christmas Eve. I like the candlelight service at Christmas Eve and we come together, we all sing silent night and you know, it's 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 um that come together spiritual community in that way. I think Christmas Day reserved for for your family, although for some people spiritual the spiritual community, the church is their family. Um and you know, there are always many people who um, are not with family, whether, you know, they're not in the same geographical location or there's yeah. some, like, you know, family schism and, and they're by themselves, um, which is, which is always heartbreaking. Um, and so your church though is doing Christmas Eve only. Is that correct? That is correct. And we've always done just Christmas Eve. We've never had a Christmas day service, no matter what day of the week it falls on. But it is a Sunday, which makes it a little awkward. It it is, and and we had we had a nice long discussion about it, which I finally cemented by saying, "Listen, I'm the minister, and I don't want to show up on Christmas morning to do a service. <laughs> if I'm the minister, and I don't want to show up. How many congregants do you think are? But the truth of the matter is, some are going to want to. So, and, right. and I actually had this discussion with some congregants who said, you know, we come from other traditions that have. A Christmas Day service. When I grew up in Barbados, we didn't just have a Christmas Day service. We had a sunrise Christmas morning service. Wow. So, yeah. Because, of course, everybody knows Jesus was born at dawn. So we had a sunrise exactly. <laughs> Christmas service. So some traditions really uh, acknowledge the, the, the religious piece of why we are in the season. But that's not what we my church does other unity churches might every unity church does yeah it. well and I, and for my community we literally have just started meeting weekly for worship and we're doing a christmas eve not a christmas day it's all we can do to pull off one gathering no there one's going to show up on christmas day even if we tried to do it so it kind of was an easy decision i just want to compliment 
you all, all three of you last week, because I thought you really engaged this issue well. And I think, you know, some of our listeners are clergy, church leaders trying to figure out what to do. So I would recommend to our listeners, go to episode 35. There you go. Especially post-show. It's included in the regular audio. Check it out. Very well done. And also go to uh, our guest last week, uh, Shannon Meacham. She wrote a a brilliant blog post on uh, uh, Christmas. <laughs> totally ruined. Totally ruined Christmas, Christmas song, uh, Mary, Did You Know? So go check that out. It's uh, pul- pulpit, sh- pulpit Shenanigans. Pulpit Shenanigans.wordpress.com. And I think we're going to put the link on the Pub Theology page. But and We already did. There we go. It's already up there. So uh, go go read that post. It was It was really enlightening. I like the part, especially when she just says it's a whole like mansplaining thing. Oh yeah. Right, did you know that yeah, was she funny. nailed it right there. <laughs> well, and, and you know what? Like you know, I was I was kidding around about how she's destroying Christmas for me, but um, I kind of appreciate that she's breaking this stuff down because it re- makes me realize that I'm part of perpetuating uh, some of the problems that are in this country. Mm-hmm. But I gotta tell you though. In all honesty, even after reading that, I might still listen to that song for a few more years. Oh, I'm totally going to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> however, however, the baby, it's cold outside, I'm done. Yeah, we're done with that. that yeah. we're done with that. No we, good. Like I said last week, we threw that into the category of blurred lines. And it was, it was, it was, uh, it, what, uh, what's his name? Robin Thicke. That he keeps yeah. writing these really, like, date rapey songs. Like the new songs and new albums he's coming out with now. Still the same thing, like, come on, Robin, man. I, I really like you as an artist, and I liked your early – but now you just, just – it's just – no, I, I got to be done. It's so sad. He needs, he needs a good therapist, I'm just saying. Yeah. And he wondered why Paula left him. Seriously. No, nobody wondered. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So we are getting some action on the Twitters. Uh, Jason says, when you tell your children that Santa isn't real, it's hard to keep them from telling other kids – so Go that's ahead. I have a story point. about that. Go that's on. a great point. But that's why you should tell them so they will <gasps> spread the word. God no. Spencer was <laughs> Spencer came home from kindergarten and he was so excited and he's like, Mom, Lizzie, I'm gonna call her out because she is a teenager now. Lizzie <laughs> Tech guy told me <laughs> that that Santa isn't real. Is that true? And he was excited. Like he he wanted to believe something none of the other kids knew. Mm-hmm. So I sat, I, I sat down with him, and of course I called Lizzie's mom afterwards because we were friends, and I'm like, just so you know, your kid's ruining Christmas for everybody because she's very, like, realistic with her kids. Um, so I sat him down, and I, I said to him, I'm like, look, this is something you know now. This is something other kids don't know, and, and it's okay for them to believe. But then I talked to him about the spirit of Christmas, about how, okay, Santa Claus is not a person in the flesh. It's not a person that comes to everybody's house on Christmas Eve, but he was somebody that existed. And, and what he did was he went around giving gifts to orphans. And so now we carry on what he does. So basically when we give, you know, we buy coats and we give them to kids that don't have any, we're, we're Santa Claus. Like we're carrying on the spirit of Santa Claus and that's what Santa Claus is. It's a, he's the spirit of giving and take it to Jesus. It's the same thing. Jesus is a spirit of love. There you go. Um, I think I think part of it is um, how we can be responsible parents. If we're going to tell our kids Santa isn't real, we need to also say to them, but some other kids believe that he is. It's okay. Don't, Don't ruin it. For them. Because <laughs> we, we, we had the same thing with joy, not around Santa Claus, but about sex and where babies came from. Because we, we, oh. were, we were clear to educate joy. Don't ruin it for the other kids. In, in, an, in <laughs> early on, seriously. Dude, she went like, to school the next day. No, she didn't. No, no, this oh, that's happened. right. She's homeschooled. She came home in fourth. This is fourth grade. She came home in fourth grade. She was in, in public school at the time. She came home in fourth grade and said, uh, this girl in her class, I don't remember the girl's name, but let's call her Susie. She says, Susie was really excited because... Uh, her her mom had her baby brother, and and but what she said was Susie was very excited because the stork came and brought her baby brother, and Joyce fourth grade Joyce says I didn't have the heart to tell her that's not how it happens. Oh. 
And I wow. said that. I said that's really nice of you not to ruin it for her. She might not be ready to hear. She might have been horrified. <laughs> exactly. Just as kind of like Joy. Joy was a little bit when uh, we might have broken the news to her. This what is a great did you book. tell her so early? There's a great book because so I mean Jennifer and I were teachers in public schools. And we were middle school teachers, and sex is rampant in middle school. Let's just be clear about that. I mean, even their their elementary school kids in sixth grade, we're talking like eleven years old, even ten years old, beginning to have sex sexual experiences. That's so crazy. So we are educating our child. We want our child to be educated and prepared. And there's some really great children's books out there that talk about sex, not in graphic, you know, ways, but talk about sex. Another great moment was um, when Joy was, I'd say, uh, maybe a little bit older, 10, 11, and um, we wanted to educate her about, um, you know, menstruation and a period coming and all that to kind of prepare her for puberty. And we, uh, we, we found two books. One of them talked about, uh, one of them was just four girls about their experience of puberty. And the other one was about both genders, boys and girls. So I said to Jennifer, just give her the book about girls. And Jennifer's like, no, we give her the book about both. You horrified her. So that she's educated. Oh, no, this is great because Jen Joy reads the book and we have, you say, any questions for you? And you, do you know what is the first question Joy asks? She says, Dad, are you circumcised? This is the question she asks. <laughs> After reading the book about the puberty experience, this is what she wants. I knew you were going to bring it around to theology again. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> have we ever talked? About we ever... No, I don't think we have. <laughs> I think we need to, Brian. Add some questions for next week. Wow, wow. So, yeah, no, tune in think... next week. So we a couple of folks have a couple of more folks have commented on teaching children about Santa. Mark says it depends on how young they are. It gives gives children a sense of wonder and mystery that can be helpful. Agreed. Totally and agree. Pam says, we did Santa and gradually transitioned him into the spirit of Christmas. Of I course, like my And then she says, of course, my house is full of Santas right now, so maybe I do still believe. Yeah. There you go. I like Pam. <laughs> but, you know, I, 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 I still agree with the idea of you know, just as our idea of God evolves, our idea of what Jesus might mean evolves, so so the same thing with Santa, you know, an Easter bunny and unicorns. Let let it evolve and realize that, you know, what does Santa represent? Yes, there was once a literal person, Saint Nicholas, who started this whole tradition. And what the current image of Santa Claus represents is again that the spirit of of giving and generosity um and and compassion and kindness at the holidays especially so let's continue that um and ignore the fact that the current visage of santa claus and the you know the the boots and the the red outfit and the hat and the beard thank you coca-cola for that that's you give them credit it's all the marketing it's all, it's all the marketing okay i'm gonna go with that totally agree so when we get to Easter, what's the spirit of the Easter Bunny? Um, <laughs> no idea. Let's think about that. You got a few oh, months. No, I got, it, I, got it, <laughs> I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. It's about. It's about. Um. 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 Uh, begetting. So you know. So oh, here we go. So about sex. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. Come on. This is what bunnies. Bunnies are for. Bunnies are always about quick multiplying. <laughs> Why why a mammal is laying eggs, I can't explain that. <laughs> They're hiding the eggs for kids to find and be excited about. <laughs> Come on. It's all a fertility thing. We should just yeah, stop. Well, We're overpopulated. This is true. But listen, that is where that is where the Easter bunny myth came from. The East the bunny was a representation of fertility. That's where I was going. The, sure. the bunny represents fertility and fertility and multiplying. There, there ain't nothing more holy than that. All right, I mean, that's, so that's the basis for all the weird sex laws and mandates in Leviticus and Numbers. It's about let's multiply our people. I'm done now. All right. I think we're going to give the last word, if that's okay, to uh, one of our tweeters. How's that sound? Sounds Go great. Go ahead. All right. So, uh, 
Jason on Twitter says, things we shouldn't ruin for other people. Sex, Santa, movie endings, and Bible stories. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> nice. I'm voting for that one to get a beer card. <laughs> Way to bring it around. Way to bring it around. Always appreciate our listeners on the Twitters. So thanks for that. Well, thanks for tuning in, friends, to Pub Theology Live. You can connect and spread the word on social media. You can listen to this show. I was going to say enlightening, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, come on. We were, we were good tonight. Engaging and enlightening show. You can listen anytime to the podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes. If you want to find a conversation like this in your town, you can find a Pub Theology group on the map at pubtheology.com slash directory. And again, a big thank you to our sponsors, Craft Beer Cellar. You can find them at craftbeercellar.com and Casual Priest. Check out their latest offering for offerings for clergy at casualpriest.com. So until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. We are out. I think this is going to be Christmas deconstructed part two because we kind of, you know, we just kept going for show in December, you know, I think that's all right. Can we make next week a happy Christmas show? (laughs) It's all true. All our shows are happy. Chris Kringle. It doesn't matter what's true. It just matters that you have a great time. Oh wait, Comet could also be one of the reindeer. Yeah. 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 Let's, Let's let's go. It was the rate they were following Santa's sleigh. Exactly. <laughs>